Welcome back to Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and true crime. I'm Trish, your bartender. And I'm Sloan, your crime tender. And for today's case, we are doing the case of Alice Mitchell. Alice Mitchell. Okay. I was like, uh, I saw it on a spreadsheet. What was it? <laughs> Alice Mitchell. It's been a rough day, y'all. Just a heads up. We're in the middle of planning our friend's birthday party. Not even that. We didn't sleep last night. I was, I was getting there. Yeah. I was like, we're in the middle of planning our friend's birthday party, which is Friday. We both didn't sleep very well. We both were finishing up our like research for these cases that we're about to record. So it, it's been a lot. <laughs> I was like, the birthday doesn't even stress me out. It's the fact that I haven't slept. <laughs> like, the, the birthday party thing does not, I mean, it's very important. Do not get me wrong, but it is days away and I'm a procrastinator, which is part of the problem with the research <laughs> part of it. But I'm a procrastinator. So for me, the birthday is not a big stressor because that's four days away. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there. I'm like, yes, I am a procrastinator. But I'm also like, all right, I work up until then. So I need to start like playing out stuff. And meanwhile, Sloan's like, it's why we can do it all on Friday. And I'm like, no, no, we don't have enough hours in the day to do everything. No, we don't have enough <laughs> hours, but we have enough manpower that we can delegate. I feel confident in our delegation that we have not yet, not yet practiced. <laughs> we are not delegators, but we oh, will do Lord. it for this scenario. <laughs> but anyways, anyways. If, if this if these next two cases seem like a struggle bus extreme, um, that is why we are both running off a of very minimal sleep and just there's a lot of stuff going on. Doing the best we can, guys. It is the Hot Mess Express for a reason. Toot toot. So- <laughs> toot toot. Beep beep. But like we said, today's case is that of Alice Mitchell. Doesn't sound familiar. I think Sloan said it's an old-timey crime, so I'm excited about it. And let's kick you off to the episode. Welcome back to another round of bartending with your bartender, Trish. And today, I'm going to be basically focusing on a moonshine that we kind of forgot we had, but also um, we didn't check, like, it wasn't one that we had bought for ourselves. It was one I had bought for my roommate, Logan. And... It's a honey moonshine from Murder Creek. And it's so good. It's really so good. I bought it for her because... She's a honey fanatic. She loves honey, and then, like, she also loves her tea and stuff. And, like, you know, she always gets jealous of the fact that, you know, we'll make our coffees. And sometimes we'll be like, man, I'm throwing in some alcohol. And she's like, I can't really do that with tea. There's not a lot that, like, I like that goes in with it. So I found this when we went to the tasting and got it for... And she did try it, but she hasn't, like, she doesn't drink that often, so she hasn't Not like it. us. <laughs> yeah. So, it's our job, okay? It's a hard job. <laughs> so, I borrowed it 
for the day to make some drinks with. And this one that I made is very reminiscent of like a green tea shot. So if you can find a honeymoon shine or like kind of make something similar to it, I highly suggest, you know, giving this drink a try. I did an ounce of Jameson. I did like a half ounce of peach schnapps and then an ounce of the honey moonshine and then I just kind of topped it with lemonade. I'd say probably like three, four ounces, something like that. Just depends on like how strong you want your alcohol to be versus like your mixer. So do with that what you will. But yeah, I just kind of shook it and then like pour it in glass and that and it's really so good. I definitely highly suggest it, like, especially if, if you're not, like, I don't, I'll, I'll do shots, I just, I don't particularly care for them, <laughs> so for me, this is a good way of basically having the shot in a drink form, so definitely try it out, um, we might see a few different drinks coming from us with this Honey Moonshine, just because, like I said, it's really good, and it's like the perfect little bit of sweetness for like some drinks. So I feel like it would pair really well with St. Germain. And yeah. I am not a fan of St. Germain. Like I, usually any drink that we make that has St. Germain in it. And I'm like, ah, that's good. I can see why some people would like it. But for me, it's not my thing. But I could see. I don't know. You like my strawberry uh, smash one. Yes. <laughs> that has St. Germain. Yes. So. It's just, it's definitely one, if you can get your hands on it, definitely give it a try. And if you have any drink ideas with it, let us know. But with that being said, we'll kick you off to the episode. All right. So for today's story, we are traveling to Memphis, Tennessee in the 1800s. We were just getting that Memphis vibe, weren't we? That damn Elvis movie. <laughs> I... <laughs> Plead the fifth. <laughs> Plead the fifth. I've already expressed my interest in Elvis and the movie <laughs> and everything. So whatever. It is what it is. Anyways, Memphis, 1800s. Alice Mitchell was born in 1872 to George and Isabella Mitchell. Alice was never interested in the toys other young kids were interested in. Instead, she was interested in playing on the swing in her yard or playing baseball or football whatever her brothers were playing at the time. Which brings me to Alice had four siblings. She had older brothers, Robert and Frank, and then she had her eldest sister, Maddie, and her older sister, Addie. So, Maddie and Addie. Yes. Okay. And Alice is the youngest of them. <laughs> Alice was closest with her brother, Frank, because the two were like the closest in age. The two spent many hours playing with marbles and practiced rifle shooting. Alice was noted as a nervous and excitable child and somewhat undersized for her age. As she grew, she did not manifest interest in those childish amusements and toys that other girls are fond of, Barbies and whatnot. Not that they had Barbies in the late 1800s, say, yeah. but you get what I'm saying. When only at the age of four or five years old, she spent much of her time in the swing, like I said, performing such feats upon it as skinning cats. Not the kitties. Mm-hmm. 
and then hanging herself by an arm or a leg from the swing. She was fond of climbing and was even an expert at it. Like I said, she played marbles, but she also played tops, which is like the spinny thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. She was also a member of her local children's baseball team. She spent much of her time with her brother. Once again, like I said, she preferred him and sports to her sisters. So she just was not like a feminine child by any means. So Frank practiced with her at target shooting, practiced with baseball, practiced with football. And she excelled at these things. She also almost like beat her brother at these things that he was teaching her at. So she just was a masculine child for a girl. Alice was fond of horses and from early childhood would go among the mules of her father and be around them when being fed. At about six or seven years of age, her father purchased a horse. She found great satisfaction in feeding and currying him. She often rode him a lot bareback as any boy would, but most women at this time rode saddle on the side so their dress could like hang to the side. So this was a little irregular. Okay. <clears throat> she was an expert in harnessing him to the buggy and looking after the harness and mending it when anything was amiss. To the family, she seemed a regular tomboy, which is what I'm leading up to. She was a tomboy. And I get that. I was very much a tomboy as a kid. And now, as an adult, I'm like a feminine tomboy, I feel like. Like, I like to get dressed up and get gussied up. But also, for the most part, you're going to catch me in the gym. In my slut, like, my sweatpants and my t-shirt, like. Oh, yeah. Like, I love to, like, have a reason to get dressed up. But also, like, I'm definitely, like, one that if I'm not going anywhere and it's just people that I'm just, like, I don't feel like I need to be dressed up around. I'm like, you're getting no makeup, you're getting whatever my hair wants to do that day, and you're getting something comfy out of me, okay? <laughs> as far as makeup goes for me, like, it is definitely a seasonal thing. I don't know what it is, but every time it hits the end of summer and fall and winter, like the beginning of winter, I love wearing makeup, and then I get I... burnout on it. <laughs> and then I, I don't always wear have some on. I try to make it look very natural, but, like, recording days and that, I'm like, no. Nope. <laughs> Nope. I have freckles. And so for me, it's always been a big thing that like, I don't want to wear base and foundation and things like that because it covers up my freckles. Yeah. So whenever I say I wear makeup, I mean like I'm wearing eyeshadow and mascara and eyeliner and it's definitely like noticeable. I will never ever wear foundation or base. Now that might change once I get to like my later years, but for the most part, Everything that I found covers up my freckles, and I am one of those, I guess, rare people that, like, loves my freckles, and I hate, I hate covering them up. Get you some BB cream. It'll work. Even that, it, like, it still tints it, and so my freckles, they aren't very strong unless it's summertime. If it's summertime and I'm out in the sun, I don't tan, I freckle. So if it's summer or early fall, like, you'll definitely see my freckles, even if I do put the BB cream on. But, like, if it's winter or spring, it's going to cover that stuff up. Yeah. And that's what makes me beautiful. 
I embrace my freckles. And if you have freckles, you should love your freckles. They are angel kisses. I don't have freckles. I do. And I will never forget, like, my cousin, whenever I was growing up, she hated her freckles and she was complaining about them. And I looked at her and I said, I will take your freckles. But it's just, I know that a lot of women hate their freckles. Anyways, we're getting way off topic. Way, way, way off to topic. Anyway, so Alice is a tomboy. That's what we were talking about. Trish and I are also tomboys. That's how we got into all of that. But Alice, the tomboy, she was willful and whimsical at the same time. She disliked sewing and needlework. Her mother could not get her to do such work at all. She undertook to teaching crocheting, but she could not. She couldn't do any of the womanly housework sort of things. And to that, I say, I wish I did not know how. I would rather plead ignorance than wash dishes. Alice was unequal in the manifestation of her affections to most people, even her relatives. She seemed distant and indifferent. She was wholly without the fondness for boys that girls usually manifest. To that, I say, not all girls manifest a boy madness youth. Yeah. I was not, like, boy crazy whenever I was a kid. Was not. To this day, if you ask me if I ever divorce Nate or if, like, Nate passes away before me, I am not going back to another man. Fuck that shit. <laughs> Alice was a slow pupil at school. Efforts to teach her music and drawing were a failure. She would ask to have instructions repeated in a confused and absent way, and she could not get her mind on the subject or remember what was said to her. The teachers were of opinion that she was badly balanced and not of sound mind. Since quitting school, Alice has shown no taste for books or newspapers and reads neither one or the other. About the time of her womanhood was established, she was subject to very serious and protracted headaches. She had far more than usual sickness at that period. She was subject to nervous spell spells, same, in which she would visibly tremble or shake. She is still at times subject to these attacks of extreme nervous excitement, but does not now nor never did wholly lose consciousness in them, but once upon occasion. So then Alice goes to the Higby School for Young Ladies, where she meets Frida Ward. The two were neighbors, and they were very friendly neighbors, and they were very different in disposition. Fred was very girl-like, very feminine. She took no pleasure in the boyish sports that Alice delighted in. Frida's instincts and amusements were feminine. She was tender and affectionate. Time strengthened the intimacy between Frida and Alice. They were very open about their relationship, spending as much time as possible together. They would kiss and hug and hold hands in the 1800s. Gasp! Oh, my. Although this was not considered homosexual behavior at the time, because intimate female friendships were called, quote, chumming in, Mem in Memphis. Yeah. However, their relationship was more serious than chumming, and Alice especially had an obsession with Frida. Frida's family left Memphis to move upriver up to Gold Dust, Tennessee, which is about 80 miles north of Memphis, which separated the couple. 
The separation greatly distressed Alice, but an active correspondence by mail began immediately, which somewhat eased the tension between the two. They were even able to get together occasionally when one of them would make the trip to see the other, staying for weeks at a time. When visiting, the two would share a bed at night. Once again, gasp. And Frida was not as serious about the relationship as Alice was and was interested in two men in addition to Alice. The two dated until Frida's older sister and surrogate mother, Alda Volkmore, Alda Ada, Ada Volkmore, <laughs> forbade Frida to communicate with Alice. Alice had devised a scheme in which she would begin dressing as a man, marry Frida, and both would go to live in St. Louis as husband and wife, with Alice going as Alvin J. Ward. And then they would find work to support the two. Frida's ex Frida accepted the proposal, but Ada discovered their letters, including the proposal, and sent a letter to Alice and to Alice's mother, Isabella, telling Alice to stay away from Frida. Alice got a promise that Frida would visit her in the fall or winter, and this promise was kept. Frida spent about two weeks with Alice in December of 1890. And during this visit, Alice entertained the idea of taking her own life or that of Frida's. She bought laudum, laudanum with that view. She considered the plan of giving it to Fred while sleeping. But in some way, Frida, I said Fred. That was her nickname, Fred. <laughs> okay. Fred Frida. So Frida was aroused and suspected that Alice had some design either on her own life or that of Frida's, and remained awake the greater part of the night. Alice showed her the bottle of marked poison. The next day, she went with Frida to the boat on her way to the gold dust, to the town gold dust, carrying the bottle of laudanum with her, and she locked herself and Frida in a stateroom on the boat and took the contents of the bottle with suicidal intent. Alice suffered greatly for many days for this rash act. The reason assigned by Alice was that Frida loved Harry Bilger and Ashley Roselle, and Alice meant to end her existence and trouble and leave Frida free to become the wife of her choice to the young man named. During the same visit, Alice manifested the most ardent attachment for Frida, and some days after Frida reached home, she wrote Frida of her recovery, and then began again a regular correspondence showing all the warmth of love for her lover. In February 1891, Alice proposed marriage to Frida. She repeated the offer in three separate letters. To each, Frida replied, agreeing to become her wife. In the 1800s! Yeah. In the 1800s! Alice wrote upon the third promise that she would hold to her engagement and that she would kill her if she broke this promise. Alice again visited Frida in June of 1891. She had saved from the time small sums of money amounting to the big amount of $15. <laughs> but this is the 1800s, so that is a large amount back then. Mm -hmm. Just to me, that's like half of my margarita pitcher for lunch. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> With this sum, she purchased a ring for Frida, and on her June visit, formally tendered it to Frida as their engagement ring, and Frida accepted it as such. 
They were often seen in each other's embraces, and the married sister of Fred, Ada, remarked that they were disgusting in their demonstrations of love for each other. Alice felt a sense of shame in allowing others to see her hug and kiss Frida. She did not think it proper for lovers to be openly hugging and kissing. Frida did not take that view, however, and rather reproached Alice for being ashamed of their love. On leaving, Alice got a pledge that Fred would pay her a visit the coming November. Their engagement was a secret, at that point, only known to themselves. So, it was at this point that, like, Frida's sister found out about the final engagement because she had the ring. And Ada got super pissed and was like, yo, (laughs) this is not happening. So, at that point, Ada exposed their relationship And because their relationship was exposed and they were not allowed to see each other anymore, Alice fell into a very deep depression. She was rarely around family. She would stay awake at night and she ate very little. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Same. Uh, But I do know I'm depressed. (laughs) That is a diagnosed thing. But back to Alice. She was rarely with family. She stayed awake throughout the night. She didn't really eat anything. And Alice would spend her time remembering her relationship with Frida. She would observe her photograph of Frida and reread the letters that they had between each other. And Alice would even often sign receipts at stores with the name Frida Ward. So, like, Alice was signing her lover's name with her last name. And... After the fact, Alice would claim that she didn't realize what she was doing. In January of 1892, Frida came to Memphis, but went to stay with Mrs. Kimbrough, a friend, instead of Alice. She did not see or write to Alice, who had a burning desire to be with her, or receive, or receive some sort of message from her. She tried to communicate with her by letter, wrote her two letters, and managed to to get one of them into her hands during her stay at Mrs. Camaro's. This letter told of her love in the most passionate terms. One was returned with the word returned written upon it in Frida's own handwriting. Alice sought opportunities to see Frida, to look upon her, to speak to her, but nothing happened. Frida's sister or someone else was on the lookout and her desire was thus thwarted. One day, while upon watch, she, Alice saw Frida go unattended into a photograph gallery. In a short time, she came out, but did not observe or speak to Alice. She went from the photograph gallery to Mrs. Carroll's. Alice thought of using the razor, which she had on her on the occasion, but found some difficulty in getting to it. And the feeling then to take the life of Frida with the razor passed off, and she returned to her home. At the time, she thus thought of killing Frida, but she loved her so much, more than ever. On January 18th, Alice got the last letter she ever received from Frida. The letter told of Frida's continued love for Alice, but said she was not allowed to see her or speak to her, her and prayed for forgiveness from Alice. Alice and, Mrs. and Miss Lillian Johnson a neighbor girl of Alice's about the same age and they were intimate. They loved each other, but just as friends, quote unquote, 
But Lillian was aware of the ardent attachment of Alice for Frida, but did not at first suspect that it was different from the love of one girl for another girl. Like their friendship. Yeah. On the morning of January 18th, Alice had the buggy horse shot and engaged Miss Johnson to drive with her that evening. Alice and Lily and the nephew of Lily, about six years, he was about six years old, occupied the buggy on this evening drive. Alice knew that Frida would probably take the boat that evening for home, and without disclosing her purpose, she drove so as to meet Frida on her way to the boat. Joe Ward, which is Frida's sister, and Lily were there with Fred. She drove directly to the custom house, and all three got out of the buggy. In a few seconds, Frida and her companions came up and turned north in order to reach the way that led to the steamboat upon which Frida and her sister were supposed to leave. Frida passed within less than two feet of Alice, who turned to Lily and said, Oh, Lil, Fred winked at me. In a few seconds, Alice said she must see Frida once more and walked after her. She soon overtook her without a word, cut her throat with a razor, and that's when Frida's sister, Joe undertook to try to stop her, but in turn was cut by Alice as well. Alice then turned upon Frida and again cut her, one of the wounds being fatal, cutting her throat almost ear to ear. Frida fell to the earth, and Alice ascended to the steep walk to the buggy in which she found Lily and her nephew, and they left. People who saw Alice as she left the hill from the homicide described her as almost running, looking very wild, with her hat off and her hair disheveled and streaming down behind her, and her face bloody. She moved with a quick, determined step to the buggy in which Lillian and her nephew were seated and waiting for her to drive off. One of the people followed her, fearing that she would overturn the buggy and injure the occupants. This person supposed from her appearance and manners that she was insane and had violently taken possession of the buggy of some other person that was driving it in her mad fury in the most reckless manner. As they dashed along, she asked Miss Johnson if there was not blood on her face, and being told that there was, Alice requested that Lily take off her handkerchief and wipe the blood off her face, but instantly checked her by saying no. Let it remain. It's Frida's blood, and I love her so. <sighs> Lily asked her what she had done, and Alice replied, Cut Fred. Upon reaching home, Alice drove in the back way and on entering the house, asked for her mother, who was not in, and then turned to her, her sister and said, Do not excite mother, but declined to say what had occurred. Presently, her mother came, and she told her that she had cut Fred's throat. So don't alarm mother, but I'm going to tell her. Don't worry. I got that covered. I'm going to make mother have a heart attack. I feel like that's my role as a child in my family. <laughs> There's always the one. It wasn't me growing up, but it's me now. <laughs> <clears throat> Do not excite my mother. Mother, come hither. I killed a woman. <laughs> that's where we were. The blood was washed from Alice's face. Her cut fingers were tied up. And by that time, the chief of police arrived and told her mother that he had come to arrest one of her daughters. She asked him not to take Alice away until her father could see her. 
but he soon came and Alice then went with the chief of police to the county jail. Alice appeared to be cool and said she cut Frida because she loved her and because Frida did not speak to her. How fucking dare her? Damn. <laughs> How dare her? Right. You deserve to lose your life over that. Let yes. me tell you. Mm. That night and the next morning, Alice did not seem to realize that she had committed a criminal act. Nor did she realize it. Alice intended to follow Frida on the boat and then kill her. Why she did so before she got on the boat, she cannot tell. She does not remember. In her language, she more than loved Frida. She took her life because she had told her she would and because it was her duty to do so. The best thing would have been the marriage. The next best thing was to kill Fred. Either we get married or you're dying, bitch. Those are the two options here. That would make it sure that no one else could get to her and would keep her word to Fred, to Frida. She saw no wrong in keeping her word and doing her duty and now sees none. For many nights before the killing, Alice was all the time dreaming of Frida. She says she now sees Frida when, when she's awake, when she's asleep, and she can't understand that Frida is dead. You fucking killed her! She shows no remorse nor regret for the bloody deed, but weeps when her love for Frida is referred to. On the night of the homicide, on being asked if she and Frida had run off and married in St. Louis, what they would have done, she looked puzzled, said that she had never thought of that, and in turn inquired, what would they have done instead? The morning after the homicide, Alice was asked where Frida was. Alice showed no feeling or emotion when making this inquiry, being told that her body was at Stanley and Hinton's. She turned to her mother and then, with great feeling and with tears pouring from her eyes, begged her mother to take her to Frida and let her lie down with her. Okay. Yeah. So, on July 18th, 1892, Alice Mitchell was taken before the Shelby County Criminal Court in Memphis, Tennessee, in the hope of determining whether she was insane or of sound mind which would determine whether Alice would stand trial for the violent murder of Frida. Alice was declared presently insane, meaning she was insane before the murder. According to her own testimony, Alice killed Frida because if they could not get married, then there was no reason for either of them to live and no one should marry Frida if she could not. All charges were dropped against Lily Johnson and Alice was ordered to Western State Hospital for the Insane, located in Bolivar, Tennessee. Alice died there in, 18, in 1989. So she lived a long, happy life. Just most of it was in uh, an insane asylum. Yeah. The case, which was exploited by sensationalist press, focused attention on the sexual attachments of women and drew out discussions of lesbianism into the public discourse. The case was headlined as a very unnatural crime across the country, and the case influenced the popular literature of the era, which began to depict lesbians as murderous and masculine. One identity that came to be thought of lesbians from this was mannish lesbian, creating dialogue of gender expression. 
So if you are more inter- if you're interested in hearing more about this, uh, this story was featured on Investigation Discovery's Deadly Women. Here's an episode about yeah. it. And Alice Mitchell's story is the subject of the book Alice and Frida Forever by Alexis Coe, C-O-E, which is being adopted into a film that was scheduled for release in 2020. Um, I did not find anything further on that, so I think it got pushed back due to the pandemic. But this was just like an old-timey crime it seemed fun to hit on. <laughs> there were only like two <laughs> two articles that I could find on this whole thing, which is why I say this movie is not out and about. But I just thought it was pretty interesting. And yeah, I know I took us back to Memphis, but like this whole murder was blamed on a lesbian couple. And like Frida was a bisexual one. <laughs> one, first and foremost. She wasn't a lesbian. She had boys and girls. But also, like, a lot of people want to say that gender, questioning gender and, like, things like this are a new thing that just came about in the past few decades. And, like, people have been gay for a really, really long time. Yep. And it's also okay to believe that sexuality is a, like, scale. You don't have to be straight or gay. Like, you can fall somewhere in the middle. Hello, me. But I just, I don't know. I, I, I wanted to do another old-timey crime. I found this one. I feel like it kind of goes with our theme lately with the Supreme Court and all their bullshit. So, y'all are welcome. I <laughs> hope you enjoyed this. We'll send you off to the last call. Alright, welcome to another last call with your bartender, Trish. And for today, since it is Virgo season and Logan suggested us doing this, I figured I'd look up some Virgo facts. On that note, what she suggested was that we start covering a case for like the Zodiacs. Like there is the Zodiac killer but she wants us to do a series where, like, like, we find somebody. So, like, for, like, this month, it's, like, we cover somebody that is, like, birthday-wise a Virgo. So, if y'all are interested in that, let us know. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I think we're going to do it. But would also love your input. But it is Virgo season. Our friend Logan, my roommate is a Virgo, and I found some little Virgo facts that I was very, um, I was reading some of them, and I was like, yep, yep, this is Logan. (laughs) But there's a lot of them, so I'm not going to read through all of them, but there are some that I just, I thought were very fine, so I definitely wanted to go over some of them. And if you don't believe in, like, zodiac signs and like stuff like that sorry we're like big believers that it like definitely affects some things like we you you definitely have i've seen over like the past like year or so like there's you know different types of each zodiac and it's like there's like i think two or three different like versions of a zodiac sign 
Mm-hmm. And I definitely do agree with that because you have some like Virgos that are completely different from others. My husband is a Gemini. He's he is not, not like your stereotypical Gemini. <laughs> I, I would say, like, if you think of the stereotypical Gemini out of the two of us, you would think I'm the Gemini. Because <laughs> I'm the one to flip a switch. And then I there's, flipped a switch. And then there's Logan, who, when I was telling her, like, my three placements, and I think, I think my moon is in Gemini. And she goes, mm-hmm. that's why you hurt me. I went, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> She's a sensitive <laughs> But getting back to what this last call is about, the Virgos apparently dislike invasive people. In fact, Virgos dislike superficial and loud personalities. But she loves me. I was going (laughs) to I was like, I mean, but she loves me. Logan herself is a loud, like, personality. Well, like, you usually don't like other people what you see in yourself so i get that but i am a loud loud personality says they prefer quiet conversations with substance rather than inquisitive questions that can be too personal or would cause a person to be embarrassed in front of many people and i do agree with that logan is definitely like someone like oh i want to embarrass them Virgos are very defensive of their privacy. Virgos are very cons- yeah, conservative and practical about their life choices. Invasive people tend to question everything a person does and may appear to antagonize someone's choices. As a result, Virgos who believe they made the most accurate decision will feel offended and disagree with inquisitive people. <laughs> I'm like, Logan, if you listen to this, I'm not coming for you, I swear. I My moon sign is a Virgo, so a lot of these, I'm like, ding, ding. <laughs> ding, ding. Because, so one thing is, like, if you're n- learning about zodiacs, is the sign that most people are like, what's your sign? That's your sun sign. And, like, your sun sign yeah, it's how you act, but, like, your moon sign is more of your true personality. And I definitely, like, understand that. Because I'm a Taurus, and I am a Taurus, like, full-on. Stubborn, loyal, dedicated. That's me. But I am also, like, a Virgo. <laughs> I have. The older I get, the more my Virgo comes out. And I that's what Taurus they say. I have Taurus in my chart somewhere, and I'm like, that. Yeah. And that's what they say is like the older you get, the more your moon sign comes out in your personality. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I'll need to be reading some Gemini facts. <laughs> uh, the second one Virgos dislike confrontation. Virgos are non confrontational, they are known to be respectful and behaved. Virgos of Oh, sorry. Because of their natural natural personality, Virgos have difficulty understanding impatience, reckless anger, and rude remarks. Yeah. I hate rude remarks. <laughs> Virgos are extremely loyal, which I definitely say 
is very true. When dating a Virgo, one of the most important Virgo facts is that they are extremely loyal. This is because a Virgo falling in love would mean that they had let their guard down. Virgos are cautious people who protect with, protect their own hearts constantly. Definitely agree. Um, Virgos prefer facts over assumptions. Since Virgos focus on organized planning, they prefer confirmed information rather than assumptions. And that is definitely where Logan comes in with her, like, having to, like, whenever we're playing something out, she's like, I need an exact idea of what we're doing. We're like, oh no, okay, we're going downtown, we're gonna start here, and we're just gonna see what, no, I want to know, like, because what if so-and-so comes, I need to, they can text us, and we can tell them. This is the friend that we were planning the (laughs) surprise party for this Friday, too. So it's been real fun. Yeah. (laughs) It's been real fun. She she doesn't like her birthday anyways. And then she also, like, doesn't like not knowing what's going on. So (laughs) it's, it's, uh, in a way, we're torturing her. Virgos do not like being the center of attention. You don't say. Virgos by nature dislike crowded places. You might even think they're antisocial when placed in a noisy setting. This is because Virgos have a habit of of waiting for the right opportunity to talk to someone. Unfortunately, when there is no opportunity given to them, they end up just leaving. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> it's like, uh <laughs> Uh, Virgo women are trustworthy, reliable, and gentle. Virgo men are apparently intelligent, logical, and hardworking. I'm trying to think if I know any Virgo men. And none are coming to mind at the moment, so maybe, maybe. Virgos are animal lovers. Um, Virgos are extreme animal lovers. Astrologists believe that Virgos are more comfortable interacting with animals rather than people. And that's where your Virgo comes out. (laughs) Virgos are creative. Um, It also says Virgos are generous and kind. (laughs) No. Virgos are extremely judgmental. (laughs) (laughs) Why are Virgos so judgmental? A lot of it is because of their knowledge. Virgos are are thorough researchers and use logic to solve most of their problems. As a result, they judge people who make life choices they see as useless, harmful, and careless. (laughs) Oh... Virgos are compatible with Capricorn, Scorpio, Gemini, and Cancer. Just like any other zodiac sign, there are specific zodiacs that are compatible with Virgos. The top of the list would be Scorpio because of their behavior and choices in life. 
Scorpios and Virgos are both wise and enjoy envisioning a life where either will go exactly, sorry, they enjoy envisioning a life where everything will go exactly as they planned. Having a Scorpio partner will allow a Virgo to have help in strategizing their the goals they wish to achieve. Um, Capricorns are also great partners for Virgos because both are self-sufficient and enjoy serving others. As far as, like, Cancer and Gemini, it says they also blend well with Virgos because a Cancer, like, are nurturing and value stability that Virgos can give. Meanwhile, Virgos will appreciate cancers who plan things thoroughly the same way they do. And Geminis have a necessity for control within their relationships. That is not Nathaniel. (laughs) I wear the pants (laughs) in this family. Meanwhile, Virgos prefer to organize their homes and projects. A Virgo's influence can help Geminis to finish their products to the end. Meanwhile, a Gemini will help Virgos thrive further into their goals by supporting them. Virgos are apparently extremely attentive to detail. Says they do not blend well with Aquarius and Aries. I'm not supposed to get along with Aquarius either, but my best friend's an Aquarius. Right. Says the Virgo sign represents the goddess Persephone. Didn't know that. Um, I think... I was like, I think that's gonna be about all the good stuff. Yeah, I was like, there, like I said, there's a lot. So I'm like, it's talking about like sharing stuff and that. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Oh, oh, here's one. People with the Virgo moon sign are sensitive and sympathetic. I think I lost all of that. I think I lost... I used to be like that. I think I lost all of that by working in the service industry. Because all of my empathy is gone. Gone. Trish and I were literally talking earlier today about being strippers. And I was like, that's great. I have no problem getting up on a pole. I just... I can't do the one-on-one contact anymore. I'm tired of it. (laughs) <laughs> I just love that the, like I'm literally I'm like I think that's it and I scroll I see the moon side and I read it I'm like oh oh hmm. I just love that like I was kind of reading a little further because they do like kind of go into a lot of different things it was like however many people believe Virgos are apathetic and cold this is actually inaccurate because astrologists believe people who are born with the Virgo moon sign are known to be the most sensitive and sympathetic of the Zodiac. Not this one. <laughs> inaccurate. I'm like... Uh. Ten, years, ten years ago, accurate. Current me, not accurate. I literally... 
Ugh. I have little baby servers that'll come up to me and start complaining about their days. And I'm like, man, that sucks. I'm sorry. Bye. Uh, Bye. But yes, that is our little uh, Virgo facts. Like I said, you can find different ones. They're all going to kind of say roughly the same thing, but like change it up. And that um, you might think, you know, Zodiac stuff people that look into it are just basically full of shit but you know it gives me it gives me a sense of joy and i love being able to being like yep that explains this person because once you start learning stuff you're like oh yeah that explains it yep called that (laughs) but that was our case and our last call we hope you enjoyed it if you did be sure to check us out every Tuesday and Friday. We try to post, you know, pretty much every week. Obviously, we do have to take some mental health days. So, like, we do try to put on our socials when that's happening. And our socials are all Tequila She Wrote. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, all that fun stuff. If you want to send us an email with, like, case suggestions, drink suggestions, anything like that, feel free to do that. Also, if you want to let us know, like, how we're doing, always enjoy that. You can email us at tequilasherote at gmail.com. We also have our Patreon if you want a little bit of extra content. For as little as $2 a month, you can subscribe for a monthly bonus episode and ad-free episodes. That's $2 a month, and then from there, it kind of goes up from there. So, I do a Ruining Paradise every month where I take you to a nice vacation spot, and I ruin it for everybody. Oh, yeah. And then Trish does a Haunted episode, so that's pretty cool. I do not like the Haunted things. (laughs) So, honestly, we're toying with the idea of doing, like, video feeds for that so y'all can see how disgusted my face looks whenever (laughs) she tells me about these ghosts. Eh. Anyways, so, the more you pay, the more you get back from us. You can find us at patreon.com backslash tequila she wrote is the easiest way to find us. You can also go to our socials and click the link tree, and there is a direct link to that as well. You can also gamble it a little bit and go to patreon.com and search for us. Uh, You may or may not be able to find us like that. I haven't checked in a while, so... uh... We're not that popular yet. So, (laughs) highly suggest just going to patreon.com backslash tequila she wrote to find us there. And regardless of whatever you do, we love you and we appreciate your support. And thanks for showing up for us this week. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for riding on the Hot Mess Express. Toot toot. Beep beep. Thank <laughs> you.